Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, as Pastor Milt said, this is Baptism Sunday and it's an exciting day for us here at Magnolia's First. And if you are here and you have become a Christ follower at some time in the past, but you have never followed him in believer's baptism, which the scripture defines as by immersion, following your conversion. If you've never done that, this is the day to do that. Uh, Or if you have been thinking about becoming a Christ follower, about stepping across that line of faith, there is no better day to do that than today. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the message. We are continuing our series in the book of James. Uh, It will take us uh, quite a ways down uh, the calendar uh, because it's a 16-week series and we're just really getting started uh, well. And I'm excited to study one of my favorite books in the New Testament with you. You know, proper and valid identification is necessary to navigate life in our nation and our culture as an adult. Uh, You need something that identifies who you are. If you're going to travel internationally, you need a passport that has your picture uh, on it. Uh, And if I were to write you a $100 check and you were to take that check to my bank, you would need some kind of identification before my bank would cash it for you. You would need probably a a driver's license for them to exchange that $100 check on my account. That's assuming I have $100 at the time, right? Uh, For a, a $100 bill. You need identification. And there are steps that all of us take to acquire that valid ID. But that's not so spiritually. Uh, You're not issued uh, an identification card from heaven when you step across the line of faith to become a Christ follower. Uh, You're not given a passport from heaven that you can show to someone to prove that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So what validation is there? to authenticate our claim to be a Christ follower. If there's no card and there's no passport, is there any evidentiary proof that you are a true follower of Jesus? Well, our passage today from James says that there is. And we're going to be looking together at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'm so grateful to Pastor Daniel as he began chapter 2 last Sunday. He did a marvelous job uh, in sharing and teaching that that passage. We're going to pick it up with verse 14 and continue through the book. And I'm so glad to be teaching these verses because these verses unpack the central theme of James' letter. And you'll remember if you've been with us in the series or you're familiar with the background of the book of James that he was writing to dispersed Jewish Christ followers in the first century 
but he was also writing to us. And while we know that we are saved by grace through faith alone, by the way, that's a good place for an amen. That was weak. All right. We are are saved by grace through faith alone. Thank you. That's more like it. We understand that. We, We know that. We reject the system of of uh, sacraments and rituals, we are saved, we receive the gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. James will teach us that though he absolutely believed that with all of his heart, there is another side, the other side of faith. And so today's big idea, the one-sentence theme that capsulizes uh, this entire passage and really the whole book of James is this. The truth about what you believe is revealed by how you behave. The truth about what you believe is revealed by how you behave. Now, we'll be bringing in some scripture passages from the gospel accounts as we go along, but let's dive into our main text. And if you brought your Bible, and I always encourage you to do that, I hope it's open to James chapter 2 as we begin with verse 14. James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now, as I said, this this is the heart of the book of James. If the book of James were a target, this is the bullseye. This is the central truth. Everything before this statement points to it in James. Everything that follows after it in James points back to it. It is about the inseparable relationship between faith and actions. They are not two separate but related dimensions of the Christian life. They are two sides of the same thing. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's say I wrote you that $100 check that I mentioned uh, in the beginning of the message. And let's say you took it to my bank and you presented that $100 check along with your valid ID and the the teller reached into his or her drawer and gave you this $100 bill. And you looked at it and you said, well, I haven't seen too many of these, but it looks like a $100 bill. It's got 100 at each corner. It's got Benjamin Franklin's picture there. It's got United States of America. It's got a serial number. This this has got to be a real $100 bill. But you took it from the teller and you turned it over (laughs) and it was blank. Now, here's what I know about you. You would give it back to the teller. (laughs) You would say to him, this is not real. Look at that. It's blank. 
This is not a real $100 bill. It's counterfeit. And you'd hand it back to that teller and that teller would apologize to you. I know my bank would do that. They, they would apologize to you and say, I'm so sorry somehow those counterfeit bills slip in. They would reach into their cash drawer and then they would give you a bill that looks like this. And you'd look at the front and there's Benjamin Franklin and there's 100 at each corner. But you'd turn it over real quick and see that the other side was valid too. Because you see, a real $100 bill is valid on both sides. And that's the way it is with our faith. If one says they have faith in Christ, but there's not faith-based actions consistently in the life of that individual, listen, their faith currency is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. And so James gives a life illustration of what that kind of counterfeit faith would look like with an incongruence in the life of a hypothetical person claiming to be a Christ follower. Continue in the text, verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. There's a comma there, and I want to stop there for a moment because we're setting up the context of this hypothetical illustration. James makes it clear in that opening sentence of verse 15, he's not talking about an irresponsible unbeliever. He's not talking about somebody who's trying to live off somebody else's work. He's not talking about somebody who's looking to scam people to get their money because they're too lazy to work on their own. No, he is writing about someone who is a Christ follower that for whatever reason has fallen upon hard times and they don't have financial resources to meet the needs of their life. And by the way, if we remember to whom he is writing, many of those Jewish Christ followers would fall exactly into that category. They had been driven from their homes and their livelihoods by persecution in a government far worse than the one we live in. And so many of them would fall into this kind of character in the hypothetical story. So continue with verse 16. So you see the brother or sister who has no food or clothing, verse 16, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, they have genuine need for help. They're not a bum. They have genuine need for help. And you have available resources. After all, I just gave you $100. You have available resources. But you instead decide that rather than use what God gave you to do what God would want you to do, you decide you'd rather keep that hundred and buy yourself something you don't need to indulge yourself in a way that does not think about what would honor Christ or be obedient to your call as his follower, but you spend it on yourself and all you give to them is some quasi-spiritual platitude that is worth less than nothing. You don't reach in your pocket and share what God has given you. 
even though you have heard me and perhaps others say this, not everything that comes to you is for you. Sometimes God gives us resources so that we can be the conduit of meeting needs in his name for his glory. And James says if, if a person is unwilling to, to have that kind of action in their life, to quote James, what good does that do? Uh, and by the way, James is reflecting the teaching of Jesus. Let me show you that. Uh, Jesus uses even more chilling terms than James. When in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching about the day of final judgment. Get, get that setting in your mind. He's teaching about the day of final judgment. I can't take time to read the whole passage, but he talks about those who have real faith, and he puts all of them on the right in that final day of judgment, and then those who have counterfeit faith, like James is talking about, on the left. And beginning with verse 41 of Matthew 25, here's what he says to the counterfeit faith group on the left. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, <clears throat> Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And then the words that Jesus says in verse 46 are those chilling words. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, this is not in my notes. I'm going to give you this for free. We don't talk a lot about hell in this church, and that's primary, not because we don't believe in it. The Bible talks about heaven and hell. They're real places. We believe it's real. Okay, just checking you out. We believe it's real, but we don't talk a lot about it because I grew up in an era when it was fashionable for preachers and evangelists to try to manipulate people with fear you ever hear one of those fire and brimstone sermons that just uh, I see people run down I, I've heard stories by evangelists that were disgraceful they weren't meant to teach the truth of scripture they were meant to manipulate the emotions of people to get decisions so that evangelists could make more money I'm sorry I'm being I'm being honest here we don't do that here but make no mistake, we believe because the Bible says hell is real. And just as we cannot fully understand heaven in earthly terms, that's why the book of Revelation can be so confusing, we can't fully understand, you know, it talks about the gates of pearl and the streets of gold, and, and we understand 
heaven is too wonderful. It's in another dimension that's beyond our ability to fully grasp its majesty and beauty. Are you with me? Just as that is true, it is also true that hell is so terrible and so awful, we can't begin to understand how terrible and awful it is. But it ought to be enough when we hear Jesus say it's eternal punishment. It's separation from God forever for those with counterfeit faith. For those who wouldn't give a needy person some of their leftover resources. Now, let me, let me clarify something real quickly. I have never known a more generous, unselfish, giving family of believers than Magnolia's First. Never in my life. And I've been to a lot of churches, been in ministry uh, 50 plus years this church gives and gives and gives. The vast majority would be those who would sacrificially give, and they do so to meet needs. And that's what faith is. Faith does. Faith gives. Faith helps. And so Jesus uh, teaches us that, and James reinforces that. James 2, verse 17, pick it up back in our main text. So you see... Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Or if I can put it this way, real faith is not just a changed mind. Real faith produces a changed heart. A changed heart. Now, as James is writing this letter, he anticipates at this point some pushback. And I want you to understand why he anticipates that. James, again, is writing to dispersed Jewish Christ followers. They're Jewish. Okay? They have grown up in first century Judaism. They have grown up in a religious system that was based on the old covenant of the law, but it had degenerated by the first century into what the Pharisees had added to it, a whole long list of extraneous and irrelevant and, and non-valid rules and regulations and every little this or that, and they had, they had put the people in spiritual and emotional bondage under that. Are you with me? That's what they lived under as Jews. And then the apostles come along following the resurrection of Jesus, and they hear Paul, and they hear Peter, and they hear John, and they hear James talking about the resurrected Christ and his sacrifice his shed blood to pay for our sins that can be received not by good works, but by grace through faith. That it, it was not dependent upon their actions, moral or religious. And so they had embraced that with their whole heart, but the part was, the problem was that they had swung the pendulum way over to the other side to say, okay, it's salvation by grace through faith alone. Our actions don't matter anymore. Believe in Jesus and then do what you want to. They had taken it too far, and James is bringing them back to the central truth, the balanced, complete truth of the gospel. 
And so he anticipates that pushback, that argument from them, and he responds to it before they even ask it. Verse 18. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Here's what James was saying. Real faith is more than just words. Real faith produces corresponding actions. And by the way, again, James is reflecting the teaching of Jesus. This time from Luke chapter 6. And these words ought to, they ought to shake us up. Luke 40, uh, Luke 6, verse 46. <clears throat> Jesus said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like. He illustrates. When someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. That's real faith. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. That's real faith. But then he looks at the other side, verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground. Some translations say on the sand, without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Jesus was saying, and James is reinforcing, that if you are building your theology on a faith, quote, that is divorced from corresponding actions, you are building your theology and your eternity on a false theology. It's built on the sand of heresy. And so back to James 2, verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. <clears throat> Good for you. If I were uh, paraphrasing that, I'd say, well, whoop-de-doo. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I've had this experience through the years. Maybe you have too. It's, it's part of the reason that we use the term Christ follower more often than Christian. Uh, I've asked people sometimes in the past, are you a Christian? And their response is something like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. You ever had that kind of, kind of response? Oh, yeah. I believe in God, uh, and, and I think, okay, so you see the, the stars and the planets of the, the solar system, and they're, they're millions and millions, and, and it's amazing. Did you see the full moon the other night? I mean, just amazing, and, and my youngest daughter, Jessica, is kind of into astronomy a little bit, and she showed her mother and I a, a little dot that was just down and to the left. She said, that's Jupiter, right? Jupiter. I don't know. I, tr I trust her, but I tell you what, if you look up into the planets and the stars that have been placed in space, 
How can you not believe there's a God? How can you not believe there is some, some intelligent force that created, or even if you look at the molecular structure of any living being on earth, even animals or reptiles or fish or whatever, and, and you look at the molecular structure and the complexity of living things, how could you not believe there was a God? So you, you believe that there's a God? Whoop-de-doo. That's, that's not enough. Some belief in an unidentified higher power is not the same as salvation by grace through faith. Jesus said it takes a different kind of faith than that. It takes a deeper kind of faith than just an intellectual agreement in the existence of a generic God. I don't know what I just did, but okay, there it is. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and, and these words will, will rock your world. Verse 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now look at this. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. That's what James is underscoring there. And if we go back to James 2 and look at verse 20, James says, you believe that there's one God? How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He said in the previous verse, it's not any more real than the, the faith that demons have. It's as useless as demon faith. They know God is real. And they tremble in terror before him. Now, I'm, I'm not here to criticize or condemn or, or be unkind to anybody. But, but, but let me just say, if there's anybody here on the lower floor, in the balcony, watching online this morning, if there's anybody here and you've been hiding behind the statement, yes, I believe in God, and think that that's okay. I'm just trying to tell you the scripture says that won't cut it. That is not salvation. I'm glad that you have the, the intellectual capacity and common sense to see that yes, there's a God, but that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you and you must put your faith in him for that payment of his blood to be applied to your sinful soul. A generic belief in God is a false assurance that will lead to what Jesus was talking about and what James described, what Jesus called eternal punishment. James is saying real faith will change how you think and how you act. And, and then I must move quickly through this next section. I, I have to tell you, this section 
has kind of unsettled me through the years, and I'll explain why. In this next section of James 2, he gives two biographical illustrations of people from Jewish history that the recipients of his letter would know very well. Uh, The first one was the father of the Jewish nation. Who would that be? Abraham, okay, verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. It showed that it was real. It validated it. It proved that it was real. Verse 23, and so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And if you know that story of Abraham from Genesis chapter 22, it's a powerful story where God told Abraham to take his precious son Isaac to the the mountaintop and sacrifice him in obedience to God. Abraham could not understand why in the world God would tell him to do that, but he took him up to the mountaintop, even raised the sword over him to obey God to sacrifice him, though God had promised many nations would come or, or many people in the nation would come from him and if you know the story you know God stopped him and and basically said Abraham I never wanted your son to die on the altar I wanted to see your faith in action your real faith he tested Abraham's faith and Abraham passed the test And then James, in chapter 2, uses a very different person as the second historical illustration. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Now, this is a story from Joshua chapter 2 about a woman who put her life on the line to protect two men who had been sent by Joshua on behalf of God's people on a mission from God. She could not have been more different than Abraham. Abraham, the father of of the Jewish nation, a man of great faith, highly respected and revered, and a prostitute a professional sinner. And for years I wondered, James, why in the world would you bring up that story that I've never fully understood anyway, why God would choose to use a prostitute? And through reading commentaries and men much wiser in the scripture than me, I finally came to understand that it was James' message to them that whether you are way up here in your spirituality or way down here as a sinner, God's grace is available to you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God's grace is available if you will put real faith in Jesus Christ. And I say that to you today. Some of you might be here or listening 
to this podcast or watching online and you think, I, I can't be saved, I can't be a Christ follower, I've done too much. I've been too sinful. God can't love me. God can't forgive me. That's a lie. God loves you. God sent Jesus to die for you. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to save your soul just like he saved mine. Real faith will change your heart. It will change your life. It will save your soul. And James says in verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James is saying, if faith is real, it will change how you think and how you act. If you're thinking, I just can't do it, I, I just can't live the Christian life, you're absolutely right, but he can live it through you. He can give you the wisdom. He can give you the power. He can surround you with fellow Christ followers that will support and help and encourage you. That's real faith. That's the kind of faith that you put in Christ when you turn your back on the sin of your past and you step across that line of faith and say, I believe I'm ready to follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. According to extra biblical sources, James was martyred in A.D. 62, martyred by the Pharisees by stoning because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So, so I want you to imagine something as I begin to, to bring this message to a close. I want you to imagine something with me. Let's just pretend you were on trial. You have been accused of being a Christ follower. And you have a defense attorney. Let me, let me just ask you a series of questions. Here's the first. Would your sacrificial generosity to help those in need be offered as evidence of your faith? Would your defense attorney be able to say, there's proof when he didn't have much to spare, he gave because that person had genuine need. When she didn't have much, even to meet her own needs, she was still willing to give to missions or to someone who was poor and needy. Could your attorney offer in evidence your sacrificial generosity to those in need for the cause of Christ? Or how about this question? Would they testify, your character witnesses, would they testify that not only do you talk about Jesus, you act like him. You act like him in the way that you offer grace to everyone. Not just your family, not just people who think like you and agree with you and may have the same political ideology as you, but everyone. You offer grace to everyone. You are kind to everyone. You act like Jesus. You don't just talk about him. You really act like him. Or how about this question? 
Would the evidence show in your trial that your walk matched your talk and that you were guilty? Guilty of being a Christ follower. Or this final question and all the others are leading up to this one. If they still stoned people today for being a Christ follower, would they be throwing rocks at you?